Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel, Mercer County. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be home with you guys. I was away last week, which was good too, I'm sure for you. Brother Jay, uh, thank you so much for your uh, message last week, and most importantly, I think your heart. I appreciate uh, what you had to say. If you weren't here last week, take some time and go back and listen. We have it online. I believe we uh, made some CDs of it as well. Uh, But just such a valuable and important message. Uh, You fall. We fall. We all fall. Get up and get moving and get cleansing from Christ. So great message. Interesting. Uh, We went, my wife and I and my son and some others, we went to Calvary Chapel Lynchburg, which is down in Virginia. And uh, the the conclusion, the wrap-up of the sermon was uh, from Joshua. Guess what it said? Get up and get moving, you know, which was cool because Calvary's don't, like, we all don't plan what we're going to talk about. Uh, so it was so fun to hear that that's uh, what the Lord's message was for us as well. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, where we're going to be picking up uh, our study um, verse by verse through this book. Before jumping into verse 1 of chapter 4, I actually want you to look back at verse 13 of the previous chapter because I want to give you a little bit of a context for um, this study today. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Lord, we're grateful that we can come here 2,000 years later than these events. Lord, and we can sit sort of with open hearts, ready to receive from you. And so, Lord, we thank you for uh, the surety of your word. And we pray that you would minister to the deep places of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you go back to chapter 3, look at verse 13 for a moment there. We did this probably three weeks ago. It's when Jesus called the 12 apostles. And in the first couple verses of that section, it says, Now Jesus went up on the mountain, and he called to him, those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might, and that he might send them out. Now flip over a few pages to chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 7. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Okay, so you have all that stuff in between. And then it says, And Jesus called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirit. So you have two chapters in between where Jesus called these guys and where he sent out these particular guys. And those two chapters are a focused time of training by the Lord for those that would go on to be, those that were named to be his apostles. There's a shift in ministry that occurs at Mark chapter 3, verse 13, when he names those apostles. Because it's in that moment in time where Jesus begins to pull away, he begins to pull back from this sort of mass ministry, and he begins to focus directly on this group of people, getting them ready to go out and do mass ministry, both when he is on the scene and when he's back off of the scene. And so I'll remind you just of this, even though we're in Mark 4, we're kind of in the beginning of the book of Mark, Remember, Mark jumps in to about a year and a half into Jesus' ministry. And so we're about 18 months, two years perhaps, into Jesus' ministry when these events that we're reading are taking place here. And again, there's this shift. He's focusing more now on the 12. Now, that's not to say that he didn't minister to the larger groups, as we're going to see in our particular account today. 
but his purpose has shifted a little bit here. And so even when he is ministering to the, the masses of individuals, it's with the purpose of, hey guys, I want you to watch what I'm about to do so we can teach them as well. Does that make sense? That's important, I think, uh, to help us get a little context of, all right, so what's the purpose of this particular parable, or at least one of the purposes? So let's pick up in chapter 4. It says, Now again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and he sat, on it, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Now, we're planning, by the way, to go back to Israel in November of 2021. So you can begin to save your pennies um, for that and dollars probably too. Um, but when we go there, one of the places that we love to go is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and having been to the Sea of Galilee, you begin to get a sense of how this is possible, so to speak. Uh, if you're from California, for instance, those that go out to there, a lot of their beaches are sort of cliffs. And I like that. If you go to the Jersey Shore, you have all the sand area there where they're a little more sort of gradual down to the water. That's what it's like at the Sea of Galilee. You have sort of this gradual land that goes up. It forms like this amphitheater around there. So Jesus could be in the water and you could have this sort of gradual rising up where the people could be standing, sitting, uh, watching, listening to Jesus. And there Jesus is and a very large crowd gathers. Plenty of room for the crowd to gather there. And Jesus is now going to be teaching these guys these things. Let me read the whole passage. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea and the large crowd was gathered and the whole crowd was beside the sea. And verse two, he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked it up, uh, grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I talked about sort of the purpose of Jesus' ministry shifting a little bit to focus on his disciples. The manner of his method of teaching shifts a little bit as well. You're not gonna see Jesus as much in synagogues in, some, in sort of a formal lecturing situation. He's now gonna be, when he is talking to crowds, it's sort of on the way as he's going somewhere else. And he kind of stops and he settles and the masses just sort of gather around him and he begins to teach them. So he's not in the building, he's outside of the building. Additionally, uh, moving away from sort of a lecture he goes much more now into stories and he uses stories to make his point and to direct the people and to guide the people or what we commonly refer to as far as Bible is concerned, we call them parables. And from chapter four on to essentially where Jesus is going to be crucified the last week or so of his life, you're gonna see him more and more and more teaching in these parables. Look at what it says in verse two, he was teaching them many things in parables and so he spoke to them. Now a parable, literally, the word parable, it means something placed beside something else. The root of the word parable is the same word for paraclete. If you're from, not parakeet, paraclete. Uh, it's the Greek word for the Holy Spirit. 
and the Holy Spirit comes alongside. And so it, the same root is to come alongside of, as the Holy Spirit comes alongside of. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's where something on earth is compared with something in heaven so that the heavenly truth can be grasped a little more readily. And Jesus is going to begin using now, this is the first of his parables according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus is going to now use the long story, the long parable, to teach profound theology. But in a way that the, the average person just sitting on the side of the road listening to him could understand it, could grasp it, could have something that they could go back and they could think about and make sense of a little bit later on. Now, the use of the parable is not something unique uh, to Jesus. Lots of rabbis in his day used parables. Lots of speakers today will use parables or illustrations or things like that to help people to understand. But what becomes unique about Jesus, uh, his ministry, almost entirely from this point on, uh, he's using these parables. And sometimes the explanation. Sometimes we don't even have the explanation. Sometimes he doesn't even give the explanation. But almost uh, exclusively he's using parables. Now why use parables? Well, a parable makes a story, as I said, easier to grasp. Because in your mind, you can picture the story that the person has just told. You can picture the people, you can picture the places, you can picture the events. And you can remember them more than a bunch of words which form sentences which form paragraphs. And if you're like me, you've blanked over at times. I know you've done it. I see your eyes. You, you sort of blank over at times, and then the person says, hey, let me tell you a story. And what do you do? Huh? What's he got? You know, okay, good. When I used to teach in high school, I would just watch my kids, usually 10, 15, 20 minutes in, they weren't with me any longer, they were somewhere else in their mind, or whatever, and I'd say, let me tell you a story. And I'd get them all back. And then I'd tell them some stories, sometimes it related, sometimes it didn't, but I'd have them for another five minutes or so. And you begin to teach them the material they need. Now, at the same time, so it's, you can grasp it. I can remember, yeah, he talked about this guy and he was doing his thing. At the same time, it requires a little bit of work to understand, a little bit of mental exercise. You've got to think about it a little bit. You've got to kind of put the pieces together. And I wonder, does that make sense? And so what naturally begins to happen is you begin to think more about it than you may if it's just straightforward information. And it requires you to think about it, to process it, and to make sense of it. So, if you're a person that's not really interested in learning what this teacher in front of you has to say, then you're not going to invest any effort into making the connections that the illustration is going to require. And so then, if you will, what parables do, they serve the purpose of siphoning out the wheat from the chaff, to use my own little parable or my own little illustration. They serve the purpose of dividing those that want to know and those who aren't really interested in knowing. And those that are interested enough to stop, to think, to process, and to seek out the meaning of these stories, it forms an indelible impression. Uh, I don't know, what, what's another word for an indelible for the kids? A, a very, it sticks with you. There you go, something like that. Everyone's throwing me their thesauruses. Thank you, I appreciate it. All right, but those that are indifferent to Jesus' teaching, they're not gonna really pay anymore. Yeah, cool story, thanks. And they're gonna move on. Now, again, as I said, Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, John doesn't mention this parable at all. Matthew, Mark, and Luke inform us that this was Jesus' first big-time parable. He's made connections. You know, it's kind of like this, kind of like that. This is the first full-out story that he's going to give. 
And notice what he says down in verse 13. This is an important story, by the way. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? All right, so Jesus is making it clear. Look, this is an important one. Now, potentially, I think Jesus is saying two things here. Number one is, look, this is an easy one. And so the disciples, you're going to read it. We haven't yet. The disciples were like, what was that about? I don't understand what you were trying to say there. All right. And so maybe Jesus is saying to them, you don't understand that one? Look, man, this is an easy one. You guys are going to have to stay after class or something like that. Now, the alternative is that Jesus is saying, look, this parable is going to be a key to understanding all the other parables I'm going to give you. So if you don't understand this one, you're not going to understand the rest of them. All right, so there's two different ideas as to what Jesus is actually saying there. Honestly, I'm not really sure which of those two uh, interpretations I'm even comfortable with. I kind of lean toward the first one, but I see aspects of the second one. Either way, Jesus said to them, you need to understand this one. Look at verse 3. He says this. We'll go back to it. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, sower... Uh, is like bad English for somebody, you know, with a thread and needle. That's not what he is talking about. Jesus had perfect English. Uh, probably not. <laughs> he didn't speak in English. Uh, my friend's grandmother, uh, she was convinced, she was this Italian lady, so she had a heavy Italian accent. She was convinced Jesus spoke in the King of James. Uh, David, she said. Jesus speak in the King of James. He said, I don't think so, Grandma. You know, or whatever. So anyhow, I don't know if Jesus spoke English. I suspect he understood English. Uh, but he says this, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. This is a person that is planting seed, sowing their seed. And this sower went out to sow. Now you need to know all around the Sea of Galilee, remember Jesus is sitting in the Sea of Galilee on a boat. All around the Sea of Galilee are these fields that are farmed by the people that live there. They were mostly poor peasant farmers. They had a little area of land that was their own and they would sow them. So it's, it's quite likely while Jesus is sitting in the boat and all of these people are looking at him, Jesus kind of turns to the side and he says, behold, a sower went out to sow. And there's a guy doing that very thing. All right. If you go with us to Israel, you'll see that those people over there. All right. Uh, and so he draws their attention. This is something they would have been familiar with. Again, they could either look at it and see it or they've seen it and they've done it themselves many times uh, before. Now, the way that the sower would sow his seed may be a little bit different from the way we would go and sow our seed, our grass seed, or whatever it may be, is they would have sort of this pocketbook of sorts, this bag of sorts, and there would be like a, a leather thing that would go around them, and then there'd be an open bag on their side, and they would reach in, grab some seed, and they would toss it, and they would just walk and plant, walk and plant, walk and plant here. And so that's what this fella is doing in Jesus' story. Now, we call this the parable of the sower. But as you read this particular parable, what you're going to see, it's not really about the sower. It's about the soil that the sower sows his, sows his seed into. Okay? Um, so keep that in mind here. I think it would be better to call this the parable of the soils because that's really what this is all about. But it goes on and it says that this particular man, he's sowing his seed... And it says in verse 4, as he sowed, some of the seed fell along the path, and the birds came, and they devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and they choked it, and it yielded 
no grain. And we're going to read about one more additional soil in a moment here. So there's four different types of soil. Three soils that are not conducive to growth and fruitfulness, and one soil that was, which we'll look at in verse 8 in a little bit. And so again, this is a parable about the quality of the soil that received the seed. We'll call it the parable of the soils. Now some might begin by looking at this and they say, well, why is this guy planting on the pathway? Why, why throw your seed on the sidewalk, dude? That doesn't make any sense. You're not going to grow anything there. And why throw it on the rocky ground? And why throw it amongst the thorns as well? Well, one thing that you should know is they did it differently than we do. Uh, maybe it's good. Maybe I don't know. But they did it differently. So I recently planted grass at my father's house. We dug up this old junky thing he had, and I rototilled it up real good. And he was paying the bill, so I, I went all out. Let's go get a rototiller, Pop. And so we, we rototilled it all up, and I raked it, and I got all the little rocks out of there, and I spent all this time on it. And then I planted my seed, and then I raked it in real nice, and then I put some hay on it or something like that, and we got it all set up. So we rototilled it first, then we planted our seed, then we kind of rototilled it again. Well, that's not how they did it. They would go out and they would throw their seed, and then they would, they never rototiller, but then they would plow it all up and get the seed in there. That doesn't make sense to me, I don't think, but anyway, that's what they did. And so when they're throwing their seed on the rocky soil, well, the rocks aren't on top, they're underneath this little bit of layer of soil, so they don't know that. And when they're sowing their seed on the pathway, their pathways, they weren't like perfectly defined. They were just sort of made as they needed to be made over time here. And they would run right, kind of, they would zigzag through people's fields. And so as I'm wandering around doing this whole room here, I'm going to be getting some stuff on the path. You catching me what, what we're saying? So this guy's not an idiot. He's not stupid. He's not making a mistake here and just wasting things. It just sort of is the way that it is. And so as it says, some seed fell along the path and the birds came. It's going to get better, dear. I promise. All right. Some seed fell along the path and the birds came and they quickly snatched it away. So obviously it, it can't take up root. It can't even get into the ground and take up root there. So it's not going to bear any fruit. He goes on. He says other seed fell on rocky ground where there was just a little layer of dirt, but there was no depth of dirt. And so the seed could never sort of get down in there and germinate, die, if you will, so that it could be reborn. So that never takes place, and so it can't produce. Soon, he says there, it's going to wither and it's going to die. Then there's the third soil on which the seed fell. And Jesus says that was among the thorns. Now, this wasn't, he's not throwing it in sticker bushes. These are like those little weeds. You get those weeds at your house? I get them all over. They're the only things I can grow at my home. Are those weeds with the prickles? And you, you just reach down and you get prickled? And it's like, you stupid weed. All right, well, essentially picture it this way. Like they, they mold the lawn and so it looks like you have perfect green lawn or whatever, but you let it grow a little bit and then those prickles start coming up. Well, that's sort of what's going on here. So it's not as he's looking at it and saying, oh, good, thorns, let me throw some seed there. He doesn't know those seed, those thorn bushes are there. And so eventually they're going to grow up, and it says they're going to choke uh, that which grows up. That it looks like it's solid, it looks like it's healthy, but as it grows up, it's going to choke its life uh, from it. Now, verse 8, the fourth and final seed, it says, And other seed fell into good soil, and it produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. 
that soil readily received the seed. And then it did what the soil was supposed to do to the seed. It readily received it and it did what it's supposed to do. Now what it's supposed to do is take that little seed, break it down so that it might be reborn and come up as something new and produce fruit, which is what it did. Now notice the fruit that it produces. It's a miraculous production of fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, he says even 100-fold. I'm told, I didn't do the study on this, but I'm told seed typically produces 7-fold. This one, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Even the minimum is miraculous. And with that, Jesus has done his story. Look how he finishes. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's it. No explanation for the large crowd. You can go ahead and kind of skim ahead. He never explains to the large crowd what he is saying. And so I suppose that there's some in the crowd like, yeah, that's a good story, good story. What's it mean? I have no idea. I think he wants us to be more careful when we plant. I think that's what he's trying to say. You know, yeah, I guess so. All right, and so no explanation of it uh, for the larger crowd. I Well, I know his own disciples are like, cool story, what's it mean? Because a little bit later, he, they kind of ask him, you know, what's it mean? We don't understand, you know, why you did it. First off, why are you talking parables? Second off, what are you talking about here? I suspect for us, we wouldn't have known what he meant. Some of us said, come on, that's an easy one. The thorny ground, of course. That's the things that choke out life. You, know, you only know it because he explains it five verses later, and you've already read this passage. Most of us in this room, we wouldn't know what Jesus was trying to get at unless we took some real time with it. And I suspect we throw out some ideas and get them wrong as to what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus will go on a little bit later and he will explain it to him. So again, the greatest strength of a parable is potentially also its greatest weakness because it becomes readily accessible as the story is meant to be But if you don't engage with it, if you don't think about it, if you don't process it in light for us, fortunately, in light of the rest of Scripture, then you may never fully understand what the story was about. It requires some mental exercise. Now, continuing on, I'm going to skip verses 10 to 12, and we're going to go back to it next week. So I think it needs a little bit of time. Let's go on to the the explanation that Jesus gives for the parable. Look at 13. Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. That when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then when trial, tribulation, or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are ones sown among thorns. These are those, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and they bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, because this is Jesus' first parable, maybe that's why he felt he should explain it to them, give them the interpretation. You're going to see a lot of parables that Jesus teaches. He, he never gives an explanation uh, to what they, um, 
what their meaning was, what he was trying to get at. But in this one, he gives his interpretation for this particular parable. Almost like it's uh, like a teacher. I'm going to let you use your notes on this first quiz of the year or, or something like that. He gives them sort of this explanation. Now, in interpreting a parable, we have the explanation, we have the interpretation. Other cases, we're not going to have the explanation. And so there's some rules that you, we should follow when interpreting a parable. Number one is you do not need to find a spiritual meaning for every single detail in a parable. All right, so you don't need to find, it's not an allegory like John Bunyan wrote. That's his name, right? John Bunyan, not Paul. Um, for Like Pilgrim's Progress or something. And so every single detail isn't necessarily meant to something. The best question to ask yourself when you're looking at a parable is, what's the main point that is trying to be communicated? What's the main point that Jesus' original lis listeners would have picked up from this? And then you sort of work down from this, or from there. Okay, but you don't want to go overboard by making every single thing stand for something else. All right. Secondly, I think it's important as we're studying the scripture is consider the context of the parable. All right. Earlier, I was sort of kidding a little bit that when I was teaching and I would notice the kids were bored, I would just tell a story, whether it related to anything or not. Well, that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus isn't just having story time with the people that are gathered. Uh, so what's the context? of what is going on here. He tells these parables to teach his listeners something. And so the context of the moment is important as we seek to interpret what he might mean by a particular parable. But again, we have the interpretation. Let's begin to look at it in this case. Uh, we read, it says, the sower sows the word. I believe that's verse 14. The sower sows the word. Now in verse three, he said, listen, a sower went out to sow. And so what did that sower go out to sow? Verse 13, he tells us the word, the word of God, ultimately the message. The sower went out to preach the message that the kingdom of God was at hand. So Jesus couldn't be more clear as to what that seed is that is being sowed. And that is, of course, the, the word. Now, who's the sower? Well, the sower is anyone that sows that message. So originally it was Jesus going and doing what he was doing. Then chapter six, it's going to be his apostles, those 12 that are going to go and do what they're going to do. Ultimately, it would end up being you and I that would go and share the message with other people. We're the sower. The seed is the word. And Jesus said that the word of God is like that seed because what happens is it gets planted in a person's heart and then it has the potential to bear fruit in a person's life. The Word of God doesn't always bear fruit in a person's life, but it has the potential to bear fruit in a person's life. And as Jesus' parable will demonstrate, not every seed is going to grow and plant, but some do, and some do. And the various types of soil is key, and they represent human hearts. The various types of soils represent human hearts and their receptivity to the Word of God. Now notice what stays the same in all of these instances. Did the sower have four different bags? So this seed over here for the pathway and this seed here? No, the seed stays the same all the way throughout. What changes is the type of soil. So let's go look at them more closely. Verse 15, there's the ones that are along the path. Now the first soil described here, it speaks of people that are hard-hearted. Just like a path, 
would be hard-hearted. And I was kidding, and I said it was a sidewalk. It wouldn't have been a sidewalk. It would just been dirt. But it had been walked on so much that it would have become, it would become this very, very hard dirt. And so Jesus is likening the seed sown on a path to the hard-hearted individual, the person that's stubborn, the person that is unbroken, the person that when the word is sown, they've already made up their mind that they're going to reject that particular word. And we could put into this category many of the scribes and Pharisees, for instance, that we have been looking at. They've already determined, my Messiah looks like this, Jesus doesn't look like this, I'm not interested in Jesus. And they've rejected him from the beginning. And for Satan, these folks are, if you will, a piece of cake for the ministry of Satan, quote unquote, ministry of Satan. Because as that word goes out, which has the potential to change a life, Satan is able to just, if you will, snatch it away, removing any possible chance that it will find its way into the depth of their heart so that it can bear fruit. Notice that about Satan. It's important to see that Satan does not want the word of God to go forth and to take root in a person's heart. If you will, what has Satan set his mind against, his heart against? What's he ministering against? It's the word of God. And so it's no wonder that there are so many constant attacks against the veracity of the word of God. You can't trust the Bible. You're really going to read something that's 2,000 years old. Satan trains his attack against those things, hopefully so that people will be like, yeah, well, I'm not interested in that. It's not true anyway. Or to go from a different perspective, people that might say they, were, they, they respect the word of God. I like the word of God. The word of God is good. And you see this a lot in churches where the word of God is no longer the focus of ministry. And so they begin to run after all of these other things and they hardly ever get to the word of God. And I think Satan looks at that and says, that'll do. That'll accomplish the same effect that I'm trying to accomplish as well. So if he can get people to doubt the word of God, ignore the word of God, don't go anywhere near the word of God, then the word of God will never impact their heart. That's the first group of people the hard-hearted individual. The second type of soil Jesus describes, starting in 16, he says these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word of God, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves. They endure for a while, then when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So we have the person with the hard heart, this person here I might describe as a person with a shallow heart. There's no depth. And as Jesus says, they spring up quickly, but their roots aren't very deep, and thus pretty soon they fall away. The shallow heart of person responds to the word of God, but they're a superficial, it's a superficial response to the word of God. And so this is the person that might say something like this. Ah, yes, it was a very lovely sermon. It was delivered so eloquently. I don't know why I'm putting it in this voice. Um, they'll say something like, oh, I, I enjoyed the message so thoroughly. I, I felt warm. I felt fuzzy. I felt so good. You know, that was really nice. But that's it. Right? There's no impact. It doesn't go anywhere deeper than that. And so it's not like this person is indifferent to the message, but there's no real commitment of uh, the, this person to Christ. No real commitment to Jesus. And so when difficulties come, trials come, tribulation comes, you're in school and kids begin to make fun of you because you're a Christian. When those difficulties come, you have no real depth in yourself. 
It's your parents' faith, for instance, or your wife's faith, or your husband's faith. And so once the difficulties come, you're like, you know, I ain't hanging around for this. I didn't sign up for this. And so the difficulties come and they leave. Many people that come to Christ, I think of youth retreats over the years. I I used to work pretty exclusively with youth for 15, 20 years maybe. And during that time working with the youth, you'd have these retreats or whatever it may be, you'd get floods of kids coming forward. I am ready to follow the Lord. Everybody else is up front, I'm up front too. And over the years, 20 years has become 30 years, and you look and so many of those kids have just sort of drifted off, went their own little direction. They received the word of God with a bunch of enthusiasm, but they quickly faded away. Third soil that we have here is comprised of thorns. The soil is. And Jesus explains this picture. He says, these are those who hear the word. They even receive the word to some degree that a plant begins to grow up here. But unfortunately, that plant is never able to bear fruit. So it it seems to take root, but it's never able to bear fruit. And the reason it's not, Jesus tells us here, is because of the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things that choke the word, which prevent it from bearing any fruit. So we have the hard heart, we have the shallow heart. This one I would call the crowded heart. This is the heart that's too busy essentially for God and for Jesus Christ. The heart that receives the word, but allows the interest and cares of this world to choke out the word. These are those that make a promising start, certainly more so than the rocky soil, much more so than the pathway, but then they become preoccupied with business, with worldly worries, with the lust to become rich, all of those things. And they begin to pack their life with so many interests, so many pursuits, that by consequence, there's no more time left for relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. They're the crowded heart. No fruit is born, which is the intent of the seed, isn't it? It's not just to get into the ground. It's to bear fruit. That's the whole purpose of this thing. Now, the fourth and final soil is the good soil. Yay for the good soil. Say yay for the good soil. Yay. Every one of us in here is the good soil. Liars. Liars. The reality is this. Sometimes we are, sometimes we're not. Sometimes we are, sometimes we're not. We'll talk about it. But notice it says the good soil. Soil that produces 30, 60, and even 100-fold. I'll read it to you. Those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word, they accept it, and they bear fruit in those measures that I shared. This is the open heart. You have the hard heart, the shallow heart, the crowded heart. Now you have the open heart. As we pray, one of the songs I think we sang today talked about having an open heart, the depths of my heart it talked about. And a lot of times as we come to the word of God, we will say a little prayer to ourselves, public or whatever it may be. Lord, just give us open hearts to receive what you have for us. This is where it comes from. This is the heart that's prepared to hear what Jesus has to say, to let his word sink in so that it in turn might bear fruit. Again, this, we call this the parable of the sowers. It's the parable of the soils. It all hinges upon the soil. It all hinges upon the condition of our hearts. And again, it's not that some of the seed is good and some is bad. It's all the same seed. It all hinges upon the, the soil of our hearts. Fruitfulness is completely dependent upon the condition of our hearts. And if you're a Christian here, and I imagine many of us are, it's a church, 
I imagine many of us are Christians. If you're a Christian here, at some point in time, your heart was that good soil. You heard the message of Jesus Christ. You recognized that you were a sinner and that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, went to a cross on your behalf and he said, give me your unrighteousness, I'll give you my righteousness, and you'll be brought back into relationship with God as he so desires. You heard that message, your heart was in a good place, you received that message, and you bore fruits of repentance, fruit of repentance. You got saved, all right? So if you're a Christian, all of us at some point in time have been in that place where we've had a good heart. But the thing is, it continues every single day in our walk. So how's your heart doing today? Are you in a good place with the Lord today? Are you receiving from the Lord today? When you sat down with your Bible this morning or yesterday morning, when you had your quiet time and you sat down with it, was your heart in a good place that day? So that when the word of God went forth and you began to read it and you began to think through, oh, look at that, he's talking about getting easily angered. And you began thinking about it and you say, you know what, I don't get, I have a right to be angry. Well, your heart's in a bad place. If you are reading the Word of God and you're thinking about everybody else, this is a good passage. I'm going to forward it to them because they are a pain. And the reason I'm mad at them is because they are a pain. Your heart's not in a good place. And so each day of your walk with Jesus Christ, you need to check in what's the condition of my heart. And if you notice that you are becoming more interested in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and all of those things that he describes there, the condition of your heart's in a bad place. And so you go back to the Lord and you say, Lord, you just got to work in my heart. If you're noticing that you're a little dry and it's a little rocky, you need to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, yes, I'm saved. I came to you in right relationship, but my heart is far from you. Would you work in my heart? Would you change my heart? I remember when I was in, uh, when I came to know the Lord, I was 17 years old. My wife invited me to a youth Bible study. She was my girlfriend at the time, or not even. I don't know what she was, whatever. Uh, but she invited me to this youth Bible study. I think I've told you this. I said, if you're going, I'm going, honey. And so I went to this study a number of times, essentially as a date um, with this girl, my wife. Uh, and I began to hear the word of God. Now, I had a friend, best friend uh, in high school and good friend in the earlier years of my life as well. And he would come with us. And so the three of us, he drove, we didn't drive at the time, he would drive us to these Bible studies and we would go and we'd sit there. And same Bible study, same message, same passages of scripture, we all sat and we listened to. I came to know the Lord and began to follow him when I was 17. As far as I know, my buddy has not come to know the Lord, even to this day, I haven't seen him in many, many years. But to my knowledge, he has still yet to respond to those things that were presented. And why? Because different soils. And different soils respond differently to the same seed. And so, my friend, you want to guard your soil. You want to give it nutrients. We just planted some grass out front. You see all that hay out there? A couple of the guys that were working out there. And we planted all this hay. And we put in peat moss, I think we put in. And we put in lime in there. And we put in fertilizer in there. Because we want the soil to be the best it possibly can be to receive the grass seed that we put on there last so that it would bear much fruit, lots of healthy grass in that particular area there. Right. Is this making sense? Condition of our heart. So let's pull back. And I'm going to end with this. Remind yourselves of the context that I introduced in the beginning. And so the immediate context is there's a large crowd gathered around Jesus, so he's sitting out in a boat, so he's able to teach these people. 
But the larger context began in chapter 3, verse 13, when Jesus called unto himself 12 men to be apostles. And it will continue to Matthew chapter 6, I think it is, excuse me, Mark chapter 6, verse 7, when he will send them out. The larger context of things is Jesus is changing the focus of his ministry to those men that are going to take over, so to speak, when he leaves the scene. Okay? And so I'm going to suggest to you that at the very least, one of the things Jesus wants to accomplish by telling this parable is teach those apostles some things about ministry to prepare them for the ministry that he is going to have them to do. Because what has Jesus been talking about with these disciples from the beginning? The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if you pull back and you look at what's going on with Jesus, does it seem that way? Does it seem like the kingdom of God is at hand? Well, in some ways, yes, because people are being healed and look at these crowds or whatever. But in other ways, no, because the religious leaders of the day, Jesus is religious, quote unquote, the religious leaders of the day are rejecting him. They want to kill him. Lots of people, they come, they, they have the miracles, but when Jesus sits down to teach, they leave. Or they come for food. We see that in another example. They come for food, but when there's no more food, they leave. And so it doesn't look like the kingdom of God is taking over the world. And so in some ways, these disciples, they may have looked at this ministry and wondered, what is going on? Why are people rejecting this Jesus when they should be accepting him? Even today, 2,000 years later, as we look around us, it sure doesn't appear like Satan has been defeated, does it? No, it doesn't. I, I can answer your, the question for you. It sure doesn't feel that way. It still se it seems like it's getting worse and worse. And so we wonder, Lord, what is going on? The kingdom of God is at hand. It doesn't look like it. Well, I think here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus, I think, is saying this. Let me explain to you how the kingdom of God works. And then he says, a sower, me, you 12 pretty soon. Years from now, a bunch of guys sitting and gals sitting in Ewing, New Jersey. A sower goes out to sow the word. And of course, that means preaches the message. And on the surface of things, it does not look like anything is happening. So much so, in fact, by observation, it might even appear that the sower is failing, that things aren't getting done. Because what happens? A sower goes out to sow. You've done this. You've shared with people. And many, what do they do? They just ignore the message altogether. In a sense, they pat you on your cute little head. Oh, you're so cute. Now, I'm so glad that your religion is important to you and that it brings you comfort. But I'm smart and I don't need religion. And they pat you on your little head. Get off my head. Here. Some seem like they're getting it. And you're like, oh, awesome. They're getting it. I'm so excited. You go home, you tell your wife or your vice versa or whatever it may be, or your friend, and you go and you tell them, and you're like, this is so cool. You should have seen. I saw it in her eyes or his eyes. They're getting it finally. But they're pretty soon you're like, where'd that lady go? I haven't seen her in forever. And they're gone. Others seem like they're really getting it. Emphasis there. But before you know it, they too are gone. And if you've ministered in any way and you were sent forth by Jesus, you worked with kids in Sunday school or you taught a Bible study or you were determined, I'm going to reach the people I work with, whatever it may be, those types of results that I just described, they can be pretty discouraging, can't they? And you wonder, you know, why bother? God's going to save who he's going to save. Why should I even bother and get all hyped up about it here? I'm not having any kind of an impact anyway. But, Jesus says, there are those that do take root. There are those that do take root. I had the pleasure of golfing uh, a couple weeks ago, the men's thing, 
and, and I do want to publicly apologize to my partner because it's my reason, or it's because of me we lost. Um, I stink. I really stink. And I feel like I'm somewhat adept at things, but my partner, Jesse. But there was another guy in our foursome, Bryant Baker. He won the tournament. Uh, and his name's on a plaque somewhere. Who did he play with? I forget. Pete. Him and Pete, they won. And their name's on a plaque. We put it in the men's bathroom uh, to celebrate them. <laughs> But anyway, this fellow, Brian, about the fifth, sixth, seventh hole or something like that, we're talking. And I came to realize that Brian's father uh, used to minister at the youth. Remember the youth group I went with my girlfriend? Brian's dad was our teacher. And I had no idea. Uh, and it's not like, well, yeah, they're all in the same church. Like, he lives over in, like, the other, way over in Pennsylvania, or whatever it may be. And his dad led me, essentially led me to the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I'm pretty sure... He thought, oh boy, this kid. And probably said to my girlfriend, you need to lose this kid pretty quickly or whatever. It's not going to be good for you. But the word of God, it did what it does. Miraculously, it, it took up root in my life and it slowly began to change me. Praise the Lord for that. Jesus says there are those that do take root. Those of whom the seed, it goes down into their heart it germinates, it takes up root, and it begins to produce. And it produces so prolifically that it becomes a miraculous harvest. And you as the sower, you have no idea. And so as you minister, you have no idea if it's going to take up root, and this one looks like it might take up root, and this guy's going to go on and be a missionary to China. You have no idea. But so you just faithfully do it. Now put that again into the context of what Jesus is doing. He's preparing his disciples to go out and minister. And if you've ever tried to do a job, and particularly like a ministry kind of thing, oftentimes you look at results, and if it's not working, you change your plan. And you change your plan again, and you change your plan again. Jesus says, do what I'm asking you to do. Faithfully sow the word. Faithfully sow the word. It may look like it's not working, but there are those that do take up root. And it's a mirac and they bear miraculous fruit. Amen? Hey, what a good, that is so encouraging. Let me just tell you. Look, I don't know what I'm doing as a pastor. I, I, people tell me, don't say that kind of stuff. People won't, you know. Look, I'm just a guy that's following Jesus myself. And, and perhaps, you know, I'm a little bit ahead of you because, you know, I'm kind of directing where we're going. And so I'm a little bit, but I'm just trying to follow the Lord myself and say, come on, whoever wants to come with me, let's go reach the world as much as we can for the Lord here. And so there are times we're trying to figure this thing out. Jesus said, be faithful to the word of God. Sow the seed of the word of God. Is the sower aware that some of the seed they sow will never take up root and produce a harvest? They are. If they've been doing this for any length of time, they're aware that some of the seed they sow is not going to take up root. Does the sower know which seed will and which seed won't produce a harvest? They don't know. They have no idea. All they know is that some seed will take up root, and so they faithfully sow, and they faithfully sow, and faithfully sow. That's what Jesus is encouraging these disciples to do. Faithfully sow the seed. To borrow from the Sixers, to trust the process, to do their work, to sow the seed, and leave the rest to the Lord, because the harvest is sure. That's the message to the closest disciples. The message to the larger congregation, which we can apply to ourselves as well, both as ministers and those that are being ministered to, what's the condition of your heart? Is your heart hard this morning? Is it shallow? Is it crowded? Or is it open? It's going to be one of those four things or a degree of one of those four things. And so make sure your heart remains open to the Lord.
check the condition of your heart. Amen? Amen. Let's stop there. Father, we thank you for your work in our lives. Lord, we know that if it wasn't for your Holy Spirit, every single one of our hearts would be hard as cement, as a, uh, as a sidewalk is. And no fruit would ever be born. No seed would ever take up root. But Lord, you are gracious and you are kind. And by your Holy Spirit, you begin to do a stirring work within us. You begin to plow up that ground a bit so that the seed of the word can indeed take up root. And Lord, you also involve us in the process of tilling up that ground to root out those, rock, those uh, thorny areas and to dig out those rocky areas so that the word of God may do what it was sent forth to do. And so, Lord, I do pray for us. I think it's easy for us as Christians to get in a rut sometimes. To just sort of, yeah, yeah, word of God, heard it. And Lord, I can't imagine we all got up this morning just to sort of sit and stare aimlessly for an hour or so. But we came because we wanted to be impacted by you. And so, Lord, uh, use this as a, as a searching time in our hearts, we pray so that good things may come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like more information about the church, please visit ccmercer.com or come worship with us in Ewing, New Jersey on Sundays at 10 a.m.